Now I lay me down to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many blessings on this family. We thank you for bringing us a new friend. And we ask that you look after us on this holiday season that we may never forget how very fortunate we are. Please, Lord. I just want to see my daughters again. If you get me through this, if you answer my prayers, I swear I'll dedicate my whole life to you. Good morning again. Glad you're here. Uh... Those are some typical prayers that people pray. In this series, we're talking about dangerous prayers that are not so safe. Dangerous mainly to our status quo uh, as we pray them. Because God's going to want us to do something if we pray these kinds of prayers. Now, unite us is the prayer we're looking at today. That may not seem very dangerous at first glance. Uh, but as we walk through the message, I think you'll see more clearly why it is dangerous. Because it's going to mean we're going to have to lay some things aside. Seems like we live in a time where there is more and more division than ever. Our society is in a state of turbulence. Uh, things we have no control over divide us like our ethnic background, gender, male versus female, age, young versus old, class can divide us, the rich versus the poor, one neighborhood versus another, in the political arena, the right versus the left. Uh, a fact of life is we're, we're not all the same. That's just the way life is. God didn't use a cookie cutter to make us. Each one of us are different. So when our differences cause damaging division, there's real trouble afoot. I would love to say that division is not an issue in churches, in church communities, but, but that wouldn't be true, unfortunately. Uh, here's some statistics on church conflict. This is from a 2008 study, 2006 to 2008. Uh, it's a little old, but uh, from what I've heard, this is a constant problem. I, I hear about these things all the time. Over the last two years, 25% of U.S. churches had conflict that relate, resulted in people leaving the church. 1,500 pastors leave the church every month because of conflict, burnout, or moral, fa- moral failure. Every year, more than 19,000 congregations experience major conflict. During the last five years, 75% of churches in America have experienced conflict, at least that registered on this, on this uh, survey. 25% indicated the conflict was severe enough to permanently impact church life. This is sad. This is, this is horrible. Division and a fragmented experience in relationship families and especially in the church community is not what God wants. This is not pleasing to Him. It, it goes on. What you find in the Bible is 
We have two enemies that love to drive division. Or one of them may or may not love to, but it happens. Uh, we're going to talk about both of them today. One enemy is me. And I don't mean Randy Lanthrop, although I am a part of the me that's the problem. <laughs> What's interesting is I think one of the generations recently that people track is called the me generation or people refer, hey, this is the me generation. I think every generation from the beginning of time has been the me generation. Uh, I'd like to show you a video from Brian Regan that illustrates what I'm talking about here. Here, here he is. I'm actually kind of quiet off stage. A lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself. And then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. Didn't mean to waste everybody's time. Telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. story ain't nothing. Maybe it wasn't, because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled, and I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story, because you ain't going nowhere. The four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt! Halt with your two wisdom tooth tail. You will never complete one, trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um, I had two, but I had four pulled. Oh, okay. No, five. No, nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots are wrapped around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn on the cob that afternoon. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. So there you go. I thought he might be able to illustrate that a little more, better than I could, more better. Um, much conflict really is generated by what the Bible refers to as the flesh. When you, when you decide to give your life to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside. Uh, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, uh, what you can expect is when you turn around and give your life to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside. And if you cooperate with him, that he begins to help you to deal with the enemy of the flesh. He gives... He, he motivates you to deal with it. Um, but if, if, you, if you don't cooperate with the Holy Spirit, if you don't keep in step with him, as it says in Galatians 5, then, then you just go on living the way you always have. It's, 
It's, it's our choice. We decide. Much conflict is generated by the pride, the preferences, the insecurity that lives inside of us and that the Bible calls the flesh. We tend to think we deserve what we want. And so we get in these conversations like Regan illustrated here where we start trying to one-up each other. You know, we're, oh, you have a two wisdom, two story. I've got a four, I've got nine, you know, of course. They're, you know, then, then you're into exaggeration. This is, this is the flesh. It generates a tremendous amount of conflict. And what happens is the pride of the flesh and our preferences build walls between ourselves and others. If you think about it, being divided is something we all experience. However, unity is high on God's value scale, very, very high. This is very important to God that we're unified, especially as a church community, especially as a body of Christ. And the good news is that Jesus came to bring unity to all those who follow him. So one of the things you can expect if, as you follow Christ is the Holy Spirit's going to be motivating you toward unity. And it's, it's going to require some of your own choices in the midst of it. Um, if, if we cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit within us, he helps us defeat the me monster. He, he helps us win the battle in what we say and do so that we can work toward unity. Near the end of his life, Jesus, interestingly enough, spent a tremendous amount of time praying for the unity of his followers, both his present followers at the time and future followers. One reason Jesus prays for us to be unified is that unity fuels the mission God's given us. Jesus came for a reason, to accomplish the work that the Father gave him to do, that God the Father gave him to do. His mission was to seek and to save those who are lost to God. Actually, the scripture says every one of us has gone our own way. We've decided to to rebel against God. That cut us off from knowing God personally. So what the Father did is he sent Jesus Christ into the world to seek and to save those who are lost to God, which was everybody on the face of the earth. His mission, once you decide to become a follower of Christ, is, is your mission. It becomes, so his mission to seek and save the lost becomes our mission as a church community as we set out to follow him. And without unity, our mission is crippled. Here's a part of Jesus' prayer in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. Now he's talking about his current disciples, the people who are following him in his day. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. He's praying 2,000 years ago. He's, he's praying with us in mind. He, he's, he's saying this. And this is what he prays, that all of them may be one, unified. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, 
May they also be in us. Now, this is a little tongue twister. Um, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So that they may be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, since time began, unity is a rare commodity. It's unusual. Jesus knows this. So this is what he puts in his prayer. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This 2,000-year-old prayer applies to us just as much today as in the world Jesus lived in. He, he lived in a very turbulent world as well. In this prayer, Jesus points out something important. Unity is crucial for fulfilling his mission. Look at what he says. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, we're fractured. The world is fractured place. There's fractures all over the world. And whenever we see a group united, it's intriguing and it draws people in. This is what God wants. Jesus says our unity is a way the world verifies that God sent him. God the Father sent him to the earth. Wow, what, what a responsibility here to protect the unity of the church. Here's how he says it, to let the world know that you sent me. So may they be one to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You can see how critical unity is for our mission. Christ followers need to pray for it and do whatever we can to protect it. So prayer is a weapon that we can use against the enemies of unity. Something Jesus prayed, we should pray the same. God, help us to be unified. Would you unite us as a church community? Would you unite us as a family? In our marriage, in, in at, at work, would you would you help me, God, to be someone who fosters unity but doesn't drive division? The me monster, the flesh, drives division. And so this this is a prayer we should pray. Jesus prayed that prayer. It's a weapon we can use if if we pray it. God will provide the power. To deal with the me monster of the flesh. He'll also give power to help us deal with the second enemy who drives division. And this one loves division. This one loves to drive it. Um, here's a description of this enemy in the Bible, 1 Peter 5.8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, this Satan, the enemy of God and all Christ followers, and especially the church, what God's trying to do through the church body. What a lion does is they prowl around looking for weaknesses in a pack. When... 
uh, a lion finds a pack of animals that are no longer together, so there's some separated. A lion can easily take out the weaker animals. This, this is their strategy. In the same way, Satan prowls around to find weaknesses that make it easy for him to devour us spiritually. This is what he's doing. The, the enemy wants to divide us so he can devour. This is what he's trying to do. This is his aim. The word devour means literally swallow up. That, that's what he means by that. We can easily forget this reality and the potential attack from this enemy because uh, he's on the prowl and he, he doesn't operate in the open. Here's a picture of a lion stalking its prey. Sort of blends in. You're not, you know, the prey doesn't really know the lion's there. Can't really see it very well. This is what the enemy does. He, he, he's sneaky. He's crafty. Uh, the attack on unity is often subtle and secret, but always direct. It's a direct attack. We just have to learn to connect the dots between what the enemy's doing to drive division so that we can recognize the attack, so that we can be self-controlled and alert and repel what the enemy's trying to do. We begin to, to grumble toward family, toward friends, toward leadership. You know, I wouldn't have done it that way. If they, if they try to lead me in a way that I want to go, I'm going to go. But till they get there, I'm not going to do it. I wouldn't have said it that way. I just, what, what are they, why do they say it that way? I would have said it this way. So we begin to grumble. We have our opinions. We one up the leadership over us. We one up those in our family. We're, we know better how to say things. We know better where we need to go. So we, we drive division this way. We start into backbiting and gossip. We don't talk to the person who can help solve the problem. We go to others so we can gripe. The enemy gives a push toward these things. Another thing that happens is we isolate ourselves. You know, I don't really click with them. They're not exactly like me. They would never understand what I've gone through. Maybe they wouldn't exactly understand what you've gone through, but I'm sure they care about it. Notice the division. They wouldn't understand me. It's they, it's them, it's us and them. Satan aims to help us turn on each other. So we forget who the real enemy is. It's not you and I. We're not the real enemy. It's the devil himself who's driving this division. If, if we can be unified in our church body, if we can be unified in our marriages, in our families, if we can try to foster unity in the way we work, our mission will advance with power. Jesus knew this. His prayer focused on Unity for the church body. 
Our, our unity is mission critical. When, when we're unified and love people like Jesus does, God can change lives. And he does. This is what he does. Unity fuels the mission and division disrupts the mission. That's why it's so important to pray for unity. Now, here's why it's dangerous to our status quo to pray this prayer. Praying unite us is a danger to my personal preferences. At least. (laughs) At least our personal preferences. More than likely our comfort. Our convenience. Because if I pray for unity, then I need to do what I can to bring the unity I'm praying for. Praying for unity, asking God to unite us, is a commitment to do what I can to bring it about. During the time of Jesus in the writings in the New Testament, there were people from all walks of life who were following Christ. They were part of the church as well, the very first church, uh, the churches that grew up. It, it was a target-rich environment for our enemy number two and for number one. <laughs> target-rich environment. Jesus' followers included slaves, masters, women, uh, Jews, Gentiles, Roman centurions, among many others. There, there could not have been a more diverse group who came together around Jesus and the early Christ followers. Now, Paul, God used Paul to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He started many, many churches. And he knew more than most the power of unity and the high cost of division in those churches. Here's some of his instruction to Christians in Rome. Romans 15, 1 and 2 says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his own good to build him up, or for his good to build him up. This is a primary way we love like Jesus commanded. We tame the me monster and we, we peel ourselves open, we peel our hearts open to consider others and what's good for them. This, this is what, what we do. This is, The primary way that we do that, we use our strength to support and build others up. We have to be alert. We have to learn to be alert to the enemies, the flesh and Satan, and how they're driving division in in different situations. If we begin tearing down people by grumbling and backbiting and gossiping, we have to ask God for the power to stop. And allow selfishness to be dealt with. Remember, prayer ignites the power of God in my life. This, this is how, this is, we have a direct connect to the God of the universe who wants to give us the power to deal with the things we're trying to overcome. If you're strong, there's a pool in you to relish in your strength, and it's easy to look down on those you consider weak. Have you ever wondered why it's taking this certain person to, so long to get their act together? Come on! Get your act together. What's taking you so long? This is fueled by arrogance. If you consider yourself weak, 
you, you can resent those who have more strength, and this resentment can turn into bitterness, and it creates all kinds of problems. We need to pray against arrogance and bitterness, both of those things. Don't allow your preferences to become your purpose. Don't set your heart on your preferences. It'll drive division in your marriage and your families at work. Pick your battles. Decide what's worth fighting for. Lay aside your own preferences to foster unity. When we work to unify, God is honored and our mission advances. It it goes forward. This is a part of our calling. So we, we want to give our mission priority over our preferences in this way. It's dangerous to pray for unity because we have to get past ourselves if we pray it. And it really upsets the status quo. Now, here's some perspective on the importance of praying unite us. First of all, we need each other. Paul describes the church community this way. Uh, Romans 12, 4 through 5. Just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This is an important reminder. Unity has nothing to do with uniformity. In fact, there is real strength in diversity. So many people in this room have varied spiritual gifts, uh, strengths, skills, backgrounds. We're all different ages. When we come together as one unified group, we can more effectively accomplish what God wants. Our unity becomes fuel for the mission Jesus has given us. Paul uses the body as an analogy, a healthy body that can move, pivot, ultimately take us to the destination we need to go. This is how it works when we're unified as a church body, as a church community. This is how we help others want to know about Christ. The second reason to pray unite us is so the world will see God's love. Here's another section of verses from Paul in Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. This is Paul praying. Sounds a lot like Jesus' prayer. He's praying for the Romans. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accept you in order to bring praise to God. This is Paul's prayer for the Romans. He prays for unity. He prays, May God give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ. What's interesting is in chapter 14, he he was just talking to them about how we should handle matters of conscience gray matters, where there's not a clear right and wrong. And there had been some some disagreements that had broken out in the early church over whether or not Christians should eat food that was offered to idols. Um, some of the Christians thought, uh, yeah, I mean, it's food. God made it. You know, why not? You know, why, why shouldn't we do it? 
And other Christians thought, no, no, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to eat that. So Paul says, you lay aside your thoughts on the matter, your opinions for unity's sake. Because even though God did make the food and it is, it is real, some people are going to be hurt by your decision to go ahead and eat it. So, you know, find your food somewhere else. Go to another, another stand, <laughs> another food, food area market for that. So we let go of our preferences and opinions and we limit them to maintain unity. This is what Paul is trying to say here. And if you pray, may God give us a spirit of unity among ourselves as we follow Jesus Christ. That means I've got to do whatever it takes to create unity. I, I've, got to, I've got to do my best anyway. I can't guarantee it, but I can, I can lay aside some things so that it could happen. Then Paul challenges all Christ followers to accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another literally means to welcome in. When Christ followers accept one another, this is like a megaphone proclaiming God's love. And it brings praise to God because everyone knows he is, he is the one who can bring this rare kind of unity. Where there's this diverse group of people, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of opinions, all, all ages, yet they're pulling together toward this mission and they're submitting themselves to the same God and, and aiming to do life his way. We do this in order to bring praise to God. Our mission is to lead people to praise God. It gets fuel from the unity that exists among us. People long for love and acceptance. When we're united in love, those who don't know Christ have the opportunity to see something very, very rare. This is a critical time in history for the world to see this. I'd like to wrap up the message this morning by encouraging you to take a next step. Uh, if you would, take out your connection card or find your connection card that Thad asked you to fill out toward the beginning of the service. If you have not yet finished filling it out, please uh, do so now. On the back side of the connection card, uh, there are some next steps in the left-hand box, and I'd encourage you to take one of those steps, or if God's laid something else on your heart to do in response to the message, I'd encourage that. Um, my next step today is let go of whatever it is for the sake of the mission and ask God to bring unity. So let go of a preference, an opinion, uh, you know, let go of grumbling, backbiting, these things in the flesh that are driving division. Let go of pride. Let go of sometimes insecurity. Insecurity is driving the wedge. If, if we can let go of these things that don't really matter, I mean, really. How many, how, if, if you're married, how many f arguments have you been in and then in the middle of it you can't, can't remember why you got into it? And then, that's not, I guess, 
exclusive to marriage. I mean, friendships or that, you know, that happens in friendships, other relationships. You get into it and it's like, does it really matter? And you don't, you, you can't compromise your convictions. You don't want to do that at all. But if you can let it go, just let it go. Don't hang on to it out of pride. Just let it go. Um, another step would be pray for a spirit of unity at Church in the Valley three times this week, at least, using John 17 and Romans 15 as a guide. Just ask God to bring unity among us. We're, we're trying to fulfill the mission Jesus gave us as, as individual Christ followers, as a community of people who are following Christ. We're trying to do the mission. And unity is crucial for accomplishing that. Would you pray that as, as we walk through this week? Pray with me, will you? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word and how it, it really does set us free from just these enemies that we're talking about, God. You have won the victory. On the cross, Lord Jesus Christ, you've won the victory over Satan, over the flesh. And I pray that, God, you'd help us to live it every day, to live that victory that you've won for us. That you might be honored, that you might be pleased and glorified, God. We ask for help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.